to record this intro during the actual peak of the full moon, so I'm actually recording this intro portion within the full moon energy, which, you know, you're gonna hear me with coffee and stuff, because it's morning time on a Monday, and uh, this podcast was recorded this past weekend. I was in Los Angeles, which, you know, it's risky, I know, to travel during these times, but I had to take the leap, and I know my friends in Australia are up, (laughs) I spoke to some friends in Australia, and they're like, on stage four, I didn't even know what stage four was, like, I hear all these stages, and I'm like, I thought stage one was the, I don't know, so I'm like, trying to figure out, but stage four, they're only allowed to go out for an hour a day, and one person from the household for exercise and one person from the household is only allowed to go grocery shopping so that's kind of scary i hope you know everybody in australia is okay i'm not sure if that is indicative of the times ahead but it is uh rather terrifying to think about And so I figured I'd sit with this peak energy of the full moon in Aquarius at 11 degrees and channel just with this energy and kind of explain myself. I have some editors, you know, I just have things that I have had to step. Normally, I'm always get things kind of all my plans are I, I try and be in control of them and. This weekend was just kind of out of control, in control, out of control. I had to just go to LA and clear my heart. And a huge piece of that was just being able to walk around Sunset Boulevard and reset my clock. My friend from Baltimore lives out there too. This is exactly what the podcast episode is about. And we both kind of moved out around the same time along with another friend, my friend Vanessa Jiha. She was on a previous episode. And, um, you know, I spent, I laid extremely low. I went to LA, but I, you know, it was just me and my friend Nikki who goes between work and home and has to kind of have a med check before she even goes into her lab every, you know, at work. So, um... You know, we were we were pretty chill this weekend. I think, you know, the biggest thing that I got was a beer. And, uh, you know, I haven't had... Like, I don't really ever drink beer, but I feel like <laughs> we just kind of needed to chill with a fucking beer, you know? And I went for a walk up Laurel Canyon, and a couple people sent me... It was interesting, independently of each other, but somebody sent me a Hyacinth House, like, hey, if you're there, look for Hyacinth House, my friend, and uh, another friend of mine, Jeff, he's, he sent me a, a bunch of Jim Morrison stuff, and I was like, whoa, like, maybe my job right now is to just chill with some doors and walk around and listen to music and that's exactly sort of what I did I I saw that there was like a mass exodus in LA this weekend which is so interesting because you know a mushroom journey did show me that 
there would be change in LA and that I needed to stay on the outskirts in the desert and just watch as an observer and I'm making the decisions you know a lot of people are moving which way and I'm getting called west again and I'm like why does my uh guidance have to be to go west again and so when we were um my friend Nikki were out there um I when I stayed with her we walked down to the comedy store and it was you know pretty pretty icy desolate I guess I don't know how to explain it there was nobody there and uh we just walked around the store and it was the first time that I went to the comedy store that I didn't have a panic attack that I didn't have to worry about the judgment of others that I didn't have to worry about whether I fit into some clique at the comedy store and whether people saw me as a legitimate comic. And quite honestly, I'm not calling out every door person there because there have been incredible door people there, but there's also a select few who treated me like I was just some stray dog. And maybe I am, okay? Maybe I am the stray dog. But the thing about a stray dog is that uh, stray dogs are fucking survivors. So if my spirit animal needs to be a stray dog, a cockroach, you know, then fine, I'll be a stray dog with cockroach totem, you know? I'll survive. But, you know, I was thinking this weekend, you've got this much money to survive through the year keep pushing keep striving keep putting out content things might fall apart and if they do they do and but I just kept getting this like I was walking up Laurel Canyon and I was like why do I feel like I'm gonna end up here why do I feel like I'm gonna end up in this canyon I don't know why I feel like I'm gonna end up there maybe it's just wishful thinking hopeful thinking but I just kept getting called up into the hills of the canyon and I kept walking and just looking around and then I got this plan in my head on the weeks ahead and then got an offer in the weeks ahead and I have to see what COVID life takes us because who knows we could be in stage 22 stage 33 of this shit who knows in the next day and a half because that's how this life is working right now but with this full moon I'm learning you know this full moon in Aquarius is about our minds it's about innovation it's about surprises and the unusual, um, the unworldly experiences. I off. I think that telepathy is real. I think there's some people we just share, whether it's spiritual, telepathic, some kind of weird connection that doesn't make sense. And I feel like that is kind of like a spiritual tribe. And on the Aquarian level, I also feel that that's true too. So if you're experiencing like really strong levels of precognition, strong levels of 
not like water intuition, but almost like these visions that come through. That's Aquarian energy. And um, that's what this is all about. And I had to disappoint a lot of people this weekend, um, which I had to sit back with my soul on. And I'm still, you know, searching my soul on the people that I disappointed this past week and weekend. Um, But if I didn't go to L.A., I wouldn't have been able to get through whatever this was. It was I, I actually reset myself on Sunday yesterday and early in the morning I just drove to yoga work Santa Monica Main Street and then I drove to the beach I was gonna get out but the parking lot was too COVID-tastic there was just trash on the ground the beach didn't feel right uh there were a lot of people on the beach around you know eight in the morning and I was like you know as much as I want to go onto the beach right now, I'm just going to drive and say hello through car and then go back east to the desert. And, uh, you know, I'm driving through the I-10, down the I-10, and got diverted because there's a wildfire in Apple and Cherry Valley. And I got diverted towards Arizona, still on the I-10, and then I got diverted through joshua tree state park um which i didn't even know was an actual route that i could take to get back home and i thought i would have to pay for the park but i think that they opened it up due to the there's still smoke in the air right now where i live it's coming over the valley where i live uh i'm far enough away from the fires but i did like fill up the bathtub with a bunch of laundry to get it dried just in case you know an evacuation would take place and I have my evacuation route planned and like that's another thing I had to like figure out on my way back like if you know California is California and it is not you know you just have to go with the earth here I'm lucky because I am right on the earth My house that I live in is completely on the ground. It's been here for years and years, and it's solid concrete, and it's been through a lot, and I kind of feel like that's very symbolic of these times that it's like I'm, even if I disappoint people, even if I make decisions that don't seem normal that I'm able to survive these storms able to survive these wildfires and I think that that's we're kind of we're kind of all seeing this and um even as August 1st rolled around and a lot of people left LA because of rents and a lot of people are losing you know different uh streams of income and and uh unemployment a friend of mine just got caught off on their unemployment and you know I think that's why if if the person that you know I think that's why it's been so hard I had I have an assignment to write horoscopes for next year and I'm sitting with them and I'm like starting and then stopping and starting and stopping because how do I tell people that next year it's it's a revolution we have to no choice 
we can't rely on the system. We can't. And how do I translate that into a horoscope about somebody's crush? I can't. I, and it's been hard. And there's a soul wound there. Because it feels like I have this trumpet and this fucking... I think we all see it. So how can I write a mundane horoscope about love? It's been so hard. Yet, you know, there's this like twofold thing. Because if I don't write it, I disappoint people. If I do write it, do I be blunt and honest and say, y'all, we gotta fucking get extra rice, get extra peanut butter, get extra powdered milk, get extra powdered protein. Make sure, you know, you're in the right space. That's why I moved out to the desert, because I could smell LA was changing. And now that I'm getting called back to LA, it's like, well, I had to figure out how. Maybe I stay in this house. Maybe I watch the what I do. Go back every few weeks to a safe place. Keep social distant. When I go to the gas station, I wear gloves. I wear a mask. I have my alcohol spray I have my med wipes I throw away my gloves at the gas station I spray down my debit card with alcohol I I treat everything like I'm still in the BSL3 BSL2 lab I spray down myself I spray down my clothes with alcohol then I soak it twice in detergent then I rinse it like I'm trying everything I can do on my end, even out here in the desert. I spray all my food down, packaging, I spray my car, all my handles, my fucking steering wheel, everything. My fucking bags. I've done this even when I was still living in LA. Bottom of my shoes. I treat everything the way that I've treated life when I worked in a quarantine facility and I honestly think that that is why I had those weird jobs is because I learned you know those methods for whatever we're going through I spray my hair I make my own sanitizer at home I boil shit like I'm I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing, but I do know that that uh that I try. I don't know. And whether or not this is something that's created in the lab, whether or not this is something that's created by nature, either way that this this Aquarian experience is tech and biological life coming together. So this is just my whole thing about LA. It was so healing to go back to where it all started. And I said in my live streams this week, and I'm trying to figure out how to even talk about it, you know, LA is where I made the full decision to become a stand-up comic no matter how homeless I was, no matter how negative my bank account was, no matter how hungry I was, no matter how many, I mean, I have a video that I found of my shoes 
Um, I had a pair of boots that I left. Um, There's like a fountain out near the comedy store. I left them there because they had completely holes in the soles, like to the point that, you know, the ground was like coming up into my feet because the the shoes had so many holes in them because I didn't have a car in LA and I walked everywhere, which I wore so many shoes out they would just completely disintegrate. I've had so many soles fall apart. You know, shoe soles. And still I kept walking. Still I kept going. And I think that's why LA is such an important town. And I'm not giving up on that town. I'm not giving up on LA. But I think Hollywood is falling. Because Hollywood in the city of angels had the shadow of Hollywood is unable to hide anymore. The concentric circles of abuse are unable to hide anymore. And it makes me think of Laurel Canyon. It makes me think of those hills and all the weird shit that goes on in Laurel Canyon and all the opulence and all the... I mean, I could see at the top of the hill, my friend lives extremely close to the Laurel Canyon, like a block and a half away. And I'm looking up, there's a giant house, or I would say it's it's a mansion, and they have a full party. I can see the lights going, I can see... I can see it, and I said to her, there's a mansion with a party. She's like, oh, they have a party all the time, and it's like... You know, there's a lot of eyes wide shut shit going up in those hills. And I think that that's very exactly what the shadow side is. It's eyes wide shut and this Aquarius moon is eyes wide open. Our third eye has no choice but to be open. We have no choice at this point but to say that this is spiritual. And for those who don't, and say, oh, fuck it. Wait until next year comes around when Saturn and Uranus are square. Because it is going to be... The magnitude of this... Look at Berlin this weekend with the protests in Germany. Look at Melbourne, look at Australia with stage four. As humanity on this planet, we are all going to have to go against the systems. And that's across the world. And Aquarius is mass technology. So I view this as the light and the dark are clashing and soul consciousness is increasing. And for those who deny spirituality, for those who deny the spirit world, for those who still have their head in the sand, you can no longer, you're, that's what coronavirus is, coronavirus, the crown chakra. When this first came out, the media was calling the coronavirus, 
the coronavirus when there are several different types of coronavirus even the common cold is a fucking coronavirus so i think it's not only just war of the world it's war of the words the swords the realms And I hope any astrology people that know what's going on on the astrology side, if you listen to this intro, understand I'm extremely sensitive and I channel and it's hard to sit and write things down because I feel like in the uh, comedy world, we have the patriarchy. In the astrology world, we have the matriarchy and every archy has its fucking archetypes and every archetype has its own shadow and I can feel all of the shadows. Like walking around the comedy store, even in the dark, I could feel it was actually lighter. The energy was actually lighter because she just needed a rest. I look at the comedy store as the mother's lair. And the mom just needed to rest a little bit. Even with all of the male energy that the comedy store supports, that place is a mother's home. Period. End of sentence. Now a grandmother's home. Or a great-grandmother's home. That is a magical vortex next to the hills of Hollywood. Or, yeah... Not technically Hollywood, but... This is going to be a long-ass podcast. You just have to strap in. Or you can skip ahead. I'm not giving up. I was thinking about being there. I can't ever walk to Hobart House. I have once haunted Airbnb I used to live in, but... There are times when I know that that place is too active to even go near. There are certain parts of Sunset Boulevard I just can't go near during certain times. And I was led to stay on the the West Hollywood side. Interesting enough, my friend lives within less than a half a block, two, three buildings down from the first... We stayed... uh, for one night at a friend's house the first night we stayed in Hollywood or in, yeah, in Los Angeles me and my ex and it was so crazy because they had us they had right there where my friend was I could, we walked the dog past the place And I just said, this is a reset. This is a control-alt-delete. And if I'm getting called West during this war that we're in, then whatever this resurgence or this reset is, there is something that's going to happen with stand-up comedy. But I don't think that it's going to be the same. And I quite honestly think it's going to take women to bring back the comedy store. And quite honestly, I am go I have a plan in my head and I have to follow what what my 
gut told me I needed to do and it's weird and it's vulnerable and I'm gonna feel different I'm probably gonna be made fun of because that's what always happens whenever I started doing astrology and comedy there were people on board with me and there were people that laughed in my face and uh, now astrology has become what it's become but it took years five years of me feeling alone and different and weird and and just pushing through the alone and different and weird because with the alone and different and weird I still had family that came through and believed in me and even through this fucking quarantine I have people sending me messages that I really appreciate because thank you for remembering you know what we did as comics and thank you like this isn't gonna stop I'm not stopping I am staying in California because I made a commitment to stay in California. But the desert called me and I moved. Because North Hollywood, I saw visions of riots. And the only reason why I moved to North Hollywood because of Kismet. Synchronicity brought me to North Hollywood. I was in Marvista in a place that I got an offer to stay in and I just happened to be on Inspired Women of Los Angeles Housing and a comic said hey there's an apartment and the, the thing I wanted was my own bathroom because I have shared bathrooms for way too long and I just had been on the road for way too long and had so I just needed a space to like be a woman (laughs) to be quite honest like to just have my essential oils and like just one space on this planet and yes a room is great but my bathroom is my haven I take hot showers I reset my clock you know I just need a clean nice bathroom and so I see on Inspired Women of Los Angeles that this apartment is available with a kitchenette for a thousand dollars a month and at the time you know this is pre-COVID life um has it has its own bathroom and I'm like I'm in and it's located in North Hollywood <laughs> I keep burping it's located in North Hollywood Uh, I probably shouldn't drink coffee and talk. But I was like, well, North Hollywood is really close to the train station. I don't have a car. I'm saving up for a car. And $1,000 is in my budget. Mind you, my Marvista spot was $1,300 a month for four people sharing one bathroom. So there's a difference. Like, that's LA life. That's why people are leaving LA for a place to live $1,300 a month for a room and sharing one bathroom with four people is a fucking lot. (laughs) It's like, but that's the kind of shit you work with in LA. You could pay $1,300 for a fucking floor mattress, to be quite honest. But that's what people pay. That's what it takes to fucking hustle. And Mar Vista to any comedy spot was taking me two hours around one o'clock in the morning because I wanted to save money on, on, on lifts. I couldn't take so many lifts. 
So there were dangerous nights I'd be in downtown LA exchanging buses. Like, so I'm like, well, it's close to public transportation and it's close to the haha and it's close to, you know, this little comedy spot that I could do open mics at walking distance and another place called the other door that I really like and a couple other comedy spots, um, and I could potentially start my own show in in this little area called the Arts District, which I had been looking around and, uh, for spots, and I even, and right before all this went down, I actually had solidified a a show, I hadn't solidified a night, but I was in discussion for a monthly show, so, It kind of sucked because those plans were retracted, but everybody's plans have been retracted. And I hope that venue stays open. Um, But who knows, you know? So I get this apartment in North Hollywood, and it's perfect. It's in the perfect place. But there's a lot of people in the apartment. I never have to see them, though. And they were good people. I just... We never really crossed paths because of comedy schedule. And even during the day, I'd get the, I'd get pretty much after 11 a.m., I'd get out of the house and just go and work in coffee shops. So I never really was there other than to shower and sleep. But when COVID life happened and I was in there pretty much all day, I knew I had to leave. And I knew I wouldn't be able to afford another apartment in Los Angeles. So I had to make a tough decision. And on my birthday, my friend John texted me and was like, Hey, do you want to come out to Joshua Tree? You can stay on my couch for a month. And on April 1st, which was a Wednesday, he picked me up. And we headed out to Joshua Tree. And from there, just like I found the place in North Hollywood randomly and kismet like this concrete pink blue and purple house in the middle of the rural rural I can't say words with ours rural desert because this is considered rural I can't fucking say agri not agricultural you understand land I can actually have like horses on my land or it's not my land but if if I would like I could have livestock here I decided I had a vision to stay here. Just like I had a vision I needed to go to LA this weekend. Just like I have a vision that I need to be in LA with at my friend's place who offered me something. We'll see what happens in September and October. We'll see what happens. Um, so that's where I'm at now. This is a long-ass podcast, um, but today I spoke to my, on the podcast, I have my friend Nikki Fuchs. We started in, well, I started in New York, but we met in Baltimore, um, and I eventually had to move to the Baltimore area for a while, so her and I really became strong friends and somebody who I would consider my family in Los Angeles or in Baltimore and then through our experience we independently just 
were getting called in 2018 to move out to LA. And we had this really, we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but we had this really important show together, meaning like just an important road journey together where we went to Richmond, Virginia. And I remember I picked her up from work in Gaithersburg, Maryland. She worked at a lab there. And we drove to Richmond, which is like a three-hour drive. And it was just this very spiritual quest. And I think that I quite honestly, Nikki, if you're listening, I I really honestly think that it was that Richmond trip where whatever energetic vortex in us, I think that that is what was like we needed to do that. We're like upgrade twins, I guess. Because this weekend we spent together like we were both upgrading in some way energetically and so you know we have family that we when we come together big shit happens and maybe we don't see them all the time but when we do see each other it's a big deal it's a big deal to see your friends and it was important to be able to see Nikki this weekend because it just reminded me where I came from and why I'm here and why I'm sticking around. I spent time with my family when my dad had his heart surgery and I spent enough time in Maryland and I have pangs of guilt because it's like, should I go back? I need to stick it out here. So it's good to know that I saw Nikki this weekend because we both kind of came to the conclusion that we are here for a reason and we're sticking it the fuck out so i hope you enjoy this podcast i was gonna call it synchronicity but i really feel like it should be called resetting so let us all reset and love peace and safety to everybody thanks for listening so just talk normal Normal. yeah oh we both have card decks here we do have card decks let's Pull a card, any card. <laughs> Cards. Alright. What did it say? Fourth chakra. The heart chakra? I think so. Yep, the heart chakra. Who's the. Is it Raphael? Yep. Eight of Cups moving on from the past into hmm. the future. Our discussion is kind of about, isn't it? This one says it's for Nikki. New beginnings, the fool. <laughs> Today? The fool. <coughs> okay, let's see. 38. Father of Pentacles. That's Saturn. Mm. Hmm. Love, compassion, and self-acceptance. Okay, I'm going to see how this recording. Okay, cool. Because I figure, you know, life. <laughs> yeah, life is uneditable, right? Yeah. Well, Such an interesting concept. Yeah, and there's retrogrades that ask us to 
To edit. To, but not, well, it's like, you can't delete anything, you know, but you can go back, review, and revise. Which I feel we're doing now. It is. It is. It's weird. It's a, a huge review of... When, what year did we meet? That's what I want to know. Because, like, I feel like I, like, I think everything really popped off in 2018. Mm-hmm. But I think we met before all that went down in 2018. Well, 2018 is when I moved out here. So, it was clearly 2017? We met in 2015. 2015? Yeah. It's been five years? Yeah. Because I still remember the first time I saw you. But... Was that the first time, or are you thinking of a different time? Was it at Zissimo's? No, this was at um, Wind Up Space. What, what, what happened at Wind Up Space? I don't know. Like, I walked into the open mic, and you were there by yourself, sitting at, the, at a table. And I was like, I know who that is. Uh, do oh. you remember that? Yeah, and did I say, hey, you're a scientist comic I can't something? remember, like, what we said, but I just remember being like, I know her. She's a comic from New York. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, oh my god, she gets to see me do comedy. Like, that's <laughs> such a comedian thing to think. Like, what a piece of shit. Aww. But, um, She's was that, at, that was at Wind Up Space, wasn't it? I remember that day. No, we had met before that, but I think... we Did we actually meet? No. Okay. I knew who you were because you had an opening bit about biology and being a scientist. Mm. And so I always kept it in the back of my mind who you were. And I was like, oh, there's another um, biology... Somebody who does biology who's out there. But when I saw you at Zissimo's, it was like... I was kind of nervous because I'm so shy to mm-hmm. introduce myself to people. Mm-hmm. So I, I always, like, knew that you were out. I knew that. I was like, there's another one out there. <laughs> yeah, I could tell you were really shy. Um, but it was, like, finally. Because I don't, I don't remember the Zissimo's thing. But I just remember when I finally saw you and I was like, oh, this has to happen, you know. And then ever since then, we just kind of followed each other around yeah well, isn't we, that weird well if i mean you when i think about comics and her family you are definitely my family yeah like it, we mine be, too yeah like, like I, one of those ones where it's like we don't have to talk all the time or like see each other every day but well whenever the moon shines we're there you yeah. know <laughs> it's kind of yeah. crazy and we've had, like, it's so interesting, like, we've had a lot of pivotal experiences together. Like, it's always, oh, yeah. like, big, pivotal things, big, pivotal changes. Spiritual changes, too. Like, I mean, to be honest, like, part of the reason probably why I met you is because I was starting to wake up, you know? And when you are starting to wake up, you, people on your path are awake. And you learn from them and stuff. So I do think that, you know, on some level, like, soul contract, you're, spo- you're supposed to help me wake out of some of the shit that I was going 
going through and also help heal shit too well we i mean let me think it's so weird because like thinking back it feels like decades ago i know like it's so hard to like um remember that's why i was like 2018 that was like literally when i moved here like i i'm so it feels like i've been here um in a good way for a very long time yeah it feels and i don't know what's going on with hollywood right now but like from all the things that i heard don't go to hollywood it's terrifying and then we're here and it's like mad chill like it's so it was it is chill except for that hike this morning but that's another story but you know it i i don't know maybe it's just because i stay home but it's not as bad as it seems but i'm living in it so i haven't heard any of this like don't go to la or anything like that either well i know with like all the protests going on yeah that was hard i mean they were right outside of my window um it was hard but it was great because it meant i had no choice but to be out there so i was like wow I really appreciate this. Like, I'm very grateful that that I, I'm, I get the opportunity to be a part of that. Because that was huge. Um, and then I was going to say, uh, just like moving across the country, <laughs> you know? Like, that was wild. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to... Well, we were within a month of each other. Like we I know, had... that's why it was so weird. And we had been prepping before. Mm-hmm. We were talking about it, and you were like, I think I'm going to go west. And I was like, see you there? <laughs> well, yeah, and it also was weird because we had done, <clears throat> we had been on several shows together in the Baltimore, D.C. region prior to moving a lot of our back and forth, like, I feel like we texted almost every day during that time. And I even lived, do you remember my old apartment in Hunt Valley, Cockeysville? Yeah. That was a whole other experience, too, with the sinkhole and shit. The sinkhole and the church. The The church church that I used to go to fucking Sex and Love Addicts (laughs) Anonymous meetings. Yo. Yeah, I really, it's really been a journey um, and, oh, this is what I wanted to say, uh, during this whole time of, like, being in LA during the pandemic, and seeing how many people are leaving, and kind of, like, having my own experience, right, we're all inside of ourselves right now, more than we've ever wanted to be, Mm -hmm. I, I truly believe that is part of why this happened, I'm, like, so glad I'm here, like, I'm so glad that I made this decision two years ago. Like, even in the fucking global pandemic and a civil unrest uprising. Like, I'm grateful that it brought me to right here right now. And you're in this magical apartment. It's very magical. In this magical place. (laughs) Behind the laugh factory. Yeah, it's like everything, like you're, even... I don't know how to even talk about, like, what we... Let's go back to Maryland for a little bit. Let's sit there, because I feel like we're both... Yeah. I I honestly feel like this is, like, mutual therapy right now. It really is, because (laughs) I haven't really talked about it. I haven't either. Because it was really a lot of emotional unrest before we left. Like, like, 
for that whole year and a half before we left. Like, I feel like things were very hard. Yeah, it was one thing after the other after the other. And I remember when you, like, looked at my chart and you were like, yeah, I mean, you're really just, like, in Baltimore to, like, learn all your lessons and, like, do some real healing. And I do feel, like, you know, the difference of my soul in Baltimore and here. Well, this is your natal chart here. Right. When you're in in L.A., you're back home. Mm -hmm. Like, your reset point is Mm -hmm. home. When you were in Baltimore and Southern Maryland, that was in your 12th house, which is such a dark place to be, like, if you're young. And it's also a very abusive place if you've gone through, like, like we were both, like, healing abuse. And, Mm -hmm. like, um, I do feel, like, weird, because we also have a mutual connection with your aunt. Fucking insane. Yeah. In sane in the membrane. Do you want to talk about that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so in college, so my aunt is a professor, um, at a college outside of Baltimore. Um, and when I was in college and when you were in college, um, she was going to go to Budapest for six months to teach and travel and like live her life. Um, and I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. She she won't. (laughs) Yeah. Um. I don't think it's on her radar. (laughs) Yeah, she's, she's got a special place in my heart. Don't get me wrong, but with every single family member that I have, um, there's a mental illness aspect to them. And unfortunately, my aunt's is kind of around, um, cleaning and animals. Um, and so... She has a lot of animals. She had, like, 13 cats or 16 cats. A lot of cats. And two dogs. Mm -hmm. And one of those was my dog, so I feel very bad. Uh, My dad was... See, our family's so fucked up. My dad, like, gave me a dog when I was, like, 16. Knowing, like, like, how can a 16-year-old take care of a dog? And obviously, like, after a while, I, like, could not handle having a dog. So she had, she just basically took ownership of the dog from me so that I didn't have to worry about it. Wait, were the dogs that I knew one of your dogs? Yeah. Which one? Buddy. He used to jump up and try and eat chicken wings. <laughs> like he would jump onto the thing and put he his He was such a dumb dog. So this backstory on Buddy um, where my dad lives in Southern Maryland is a very poor town and we have a lot of Amish people there and we have a farmer's market, but like our farmer's market is like not a normal farmer's market that LA white people think like our farmer's market is, um, FUBU and like, but all fake brands like Adidas, like everything like clothes and swords and buckles, belt buckles. <laughs> I miss and, Southern Maryland so much. Dude, and like... All these brands of clothes that are fake brands, and and then you've got animals and Amish people and antiques and food, and it's fucking weird, okay? It was such a, a, like, weird place to be in my youth walking around, you know? Um, But that's what they did on Sundays and stuff, so anyway, we got him from the Amish people. That's where my my dad always got his animals from. 
And they're just, like, probably not taken very well care of. So, and also maybe inbred a little bit. Um, so I'm just, like, not sure. But he didn't really have many brains, I feel like. <laughs> but he was, like, a sweet dog. He was. He was a sweet dog. Um, fast forward to now, I can handle a dog. That's so crazy. I used to walk them in the morning before class. And now you know Nick's. Yep. Abby was an angel, the other one. Yeah, very sweet. Yeah. So anyway, so she had these two dogs and these 16 cats, and basically she found two or whatever, some students who were like, yeah, we'll pet sit. Um, and this is like from what I was told on the other end, right? Like we never knew each other. I just knew you as the pet sitters that stayed at my aunt's house. But, um, unfortunately it didn't work out and halfway in between her six month, whatever was it? Um, It was like one month to go of her trip or something is like how it was. It, we were there a couple of months. I, yeah. I remember it was freezing cold outside. Yeah. I had I was a double major, so I'm, like, balancing that. Plus, I have a horse in college, so I had all those jobs with the horse. And it was, like, we... we Okay, but, yeah. Okay, keep going. <laughs> well, we need to hear both sides of the story. Yeah. Um, we're healing this, too. <laughs> yeah. So, she was really upset because they were, like, they can't do it anymore. And I'm not going to go into the details because, I mean, I could understand why they couldn't do it anymore. It's really hard to take care of a house that has 16 cats inside of it. I mean, just imagine. Like, it was really hard. Well, I don't want to knock your aunt. I don't want to do that. I want to be respectful. Yeah. But when we moved in there, um, you know, some of the rooms, because I was overseas, for a little bit before I even moved into the house. So the, the deal had been made prior to being overseas. And then I went overseas. I also have a horse, so I have to make sure he is taken care of when I was gone. Um, and I'm very obsessive about my horse. Mm-hmm. So when I... It was the first time I was ever leaving him in the care of somebody of my farm. Mm-hmm. And so the people I took care of like at the farm were like, we're going to take care of him. Mm-hmm. But when I was overseas, like the way that you have your relationship with Nick's, I had with my horse, mm-hmm. um, we almost got into like a plane crash. So I've almost been in two plane crashes in my life. It's very odd. I have a very odd thing. And I hope I can get my friend Chelsea on the podcast to talk about that. But we were in Brazil going over the equator. Jesus Christ. And a bolt of lightning went past the plane and we had to emergency land in Sao Paulo, Brazil. This is the freakiest fucking shit that's ever. So we were in Sao Paulo and the airline um, put us in a hotel for the night. And the movie on in the hotel was Contact with Jodie Foster uh-huh. in Portuguese. And I didn't read a single subtitle that night. I just, uh, we all simultaneously, like in the morning, there were 20 of us. We were like, did you guys watch Contact last night? And we all discussed contact and what it meant and, like, all this shit. It was so weird. so weird. Because we had just been... I had been in the Amazon for, like, three weeks. It was the first time I had been in civilization. Mm. But that night that I almost got into a plane crash, I actually called my dad Mm -hmm. in D.C. 
and I was like, I don't normally like call them or anything. And I was like, Hey, I just need you to say a prayer. I said something really scary just happened. And my dad said, he was like, I knew something was wrong and it didn't feel very right. And then he got a call the day after I almost got into a plane crash. My horse colic the same day that I almost got into a plane crash. So what does colic mean? So horses, because they can't vomit, you know how babies colic? They get, like, a buildup of gas. Uh, it can actually kill them. So horses' gastrointestinal system has to be maintained at all times. And usually it's due to high amounts of stress or an ulcer or things like that. But generally requires surgery or will require a lot of, um, of vet care. So if a horse colics, you have to, like, physically go in. Like, my arm has been in a horse's ass taking out shit taking out fecal matter because it gets like impacted Mm. and i've seen a lot of horses die from colic did yours die not of colic he he broke his leg later on um Mm. down the road but it's so weird that that happened then i end up back in fucking westminster Mm -hmm. to go and live at this lady's house after because that was first semester second semester i was supposed to live with her Mm -hmm. so me and my friend marina Mm -hmm. who are both animal people right um, we're cleaning shit, literal shit, off the walls. I know. And when we went into the basement, which is like a stone oh basement, God. she didn't have litter boxes. She had dumped actual litter on the ground. So the basement was an actual litter box. So we had to not, it wasn't even just maintaining the animals. Mm-mm. It was maintaining this old brown, like old uh, townhouse in Westminster Wow. You know, I was a pre-med, pre-vet, and Mm pre-law. So I did both realms, and I was, like, the president of every club in college. And I was, like, mucking stalls in the morning. And my brakes, I remember one morning I was like, can you give me a sign? And my brakes went out in the middle of Main Street. And I was like, that's my fucking sign. I need to leave. I mean, it was an unlivable condition. Yeah, like, we were cleaning fecal matter off of things a lot of the time yeah um when you have that many animal like it's actually illegal to have that many animals in a house you have to have like a license yeah um but that's besides the point i mean she's a great person yeah we just all have our idiosyncrasies and um and what's really interesting is um she's gotten better like she has a cleaner now yeah. like she pays a cleaner and she does chores and you know, because, like, a lot of us won't go to the house. Well, I mean... Even now. Like, I'm just like, well, it's not comfortable there. I feel bad, because that is OCD. Like, that's... Cla- what? Her, like, it was OCD. Like, you know that it, like, like, she... But that's the thing, it's like, the... the well, to me, it's, like, it's just a part of her mental, yeah. like, compa- like, there's other things. Like, everybody in my family has, like, their mental shit, you know? Like, we're not, like, I'm well. And we're, some of us are as well as we can be, but, like, that's not well, (laughs) you know? So, um, back then especially, um, it was hard. You know, she was, she just had her, she just had a lot going on. and, And that's just kind of who she is, you know? She's an animal lover. But you came in and you lived there, right? Yeah, I, um, 
I think it literally was, like, not very long. It was, like, three weeks or something, and so I just, like, stuck it out, and she paid me a shit ton of money. And so I was, like, I'll just do it. Um, and it was hard, and I look back, like, I have Facebook memories of me, like, complaining about, like, not enjoying my time there. Um, so you had to go from Westminster to Towson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but... Uh, she was really grateful for that and I'm glad that I could have like it helped our relationship so that she could trust me in, in that emergency situation because um, it is really hard to find somebody you trust with your animals you know what I mean so I have always like it's it was a healing thing too when you're like hey do you know my aunt and I was like I lived in her place and you're like wait you're the person mm-hmm. yeah and I was like and then I texted Marina because Marina's um she lives in Montana now mm-hmm. um and she's a she's a doc she's a she's a children she's a pediatrician mm-hmm. and it's just so interesting to me like when I told Marina she's like holy shit because we had always I had always on my heart like, when I look back, I never want to leave animals. Like, I never want to abandon an animal. And we just had to put our foot down. And it's always something that's ate at my soul mm-hmm. for years. And so when you said that, I was like, that was like a healing too. Like, it's just the weird synchronicities that we've had together. Yeah. And even, I think when I lived in that Cockeysville apartment, that place was like a fucking vortex. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, Pro- like Procter and Gamble was right there. Yeah, that was a bad experience. And it's just like, I used to live over there too. Where did you live? Um, like in the apartment complexes, like a little bit before where you were, like in that bigger intersection area. But yeah, I used to live in Cockeysville. Wow, yeah, that place it has some sort of. It's so random. Magnetic point. Yeah. And it makes no sense why. And it's weird that, like, that whole road goes between, um, there's, like, a, um, what do you call it, center for those guys that, like, what do you call those guys? Uh. Not the Mason. The Mason. Freemasons? The Freemasons. They have their castle from Scotland on the hill. Oh, shit. And then. mm -hmm. And then down McCormick Road, if you go all the way down, is fucking the Goobies. It's so weird. It's a weird place. Yeah. <laughs> like, just of all the places to, like, end up, you know. But, yeah, that whole um, ant thing was out of this world to me. I was just, like, now I'm, like, friends with the person that my <laughs> aunt, like... I mean, I'm not sure she to was be mad. frank, but she was fucking, you know, livid. She was just, I think she was just really scared about not having somebody there for her animals, you know? And so that just made her very angry. Well, we didn't, like, leave them without food or anything. Right. Like, I definitely went back and, like, made sure the dogs were walked yeah. and checked there. But we didn't, I didn't live there when I was doing that. Like, yeah. we had to leave the living thing and then we shifted walks and checked litter and stuff but to physically live there no like (laughs) but we definitely said once you get somebody else we're not we're not gonna be doing this right yeah so yeah 
It was crazy. It was, and it's also like, you know, that's another just a piece of the puzzle of what we were kind of experiencing together, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kind of go back, because you were working at a well-known biotech company, biochem, how would you describe it, like a bio... Oh, uh, biologics, like uh, biologicals. Wait, which one is this Medimune? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I didn't. I didn't know if you could say their name. Yeah, I mean, I don't work for them anymore. Plus, they're not even a company anymore. They merged, right? Mm-hmm. They got bought. Yeah, so I'll just keep it at Medimune. Um. Yeah, I. Um. Graduated college with a, a degree in bio, uh, cell and molecular biology, and. Um, was having a hard time finding a job. Then I got this contract position at Procter and Gamble. And, um, got got fired after a few months um, because a long story, but um, not my fault. Anyway, uh, then it took me like a, about six months to find a job after that. So it was really fucked up. Um, and my aunt was like on my ass the whole time because. I was in a relationship with somebody who I had mentioned earlier today, the okay Cupid guy. Um, and he lived in Annapolis, so <clears throat> we just kind of like lived in our own la la land for a lot of that time. I mean, I was still like applying to jobs and stuff, but like I was also, you know, just doing whatever. And his like uh, parents ended up like taking us on a cruise my aunt was like so pissed because I should have been looking for jobs and like I was just like so we have a very tumultuous relationship because um, she just wants to be my mom and this was not going to work you know mm-hmm. but um, anyway sorry I don't know why I had to get into that backstory but it, it, it's important because I finally got the job I finally got like three interviews after like months of nothing and one was like for a really cool research company, which I was like, oh my god, this is like my dream job, but I had no experience, because it's really hard to get experience in labs. Yeah. It's so fucking hard. Um, and then I had the Metamune one, and uh, yeah, I don't remember the third, but oh, it was like uh, the company that um, basically, like, makes little assays and, like, sends them out, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, like, making the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again, but it's, like, scientific, so. Stupid. Uh, anyway, I didn't want that one, but I thought the Metamune one was cool, and I would be okay with it, because I was still working with cells. Because biologics are just basically, uh, genetically modified, um, cells that produce proteins, antibodies, that then are purified to become a drug, depending. And, and, and these drugs refer anything from autoimmune disorders to cancer. So, <coughs> um, <clears throat> so it was like, okay, like I might be able to like be cool with this job. <laughs> and then, um, I'm, I'm just like, the things I'm remembering as I'm telling the story are insane. We could, and take your time. We have, we have. (laughs) (laughs) But so, um, so I didn't get the one that I really wanted, but I got Metamune and I like did really well in the interview. So I was like cool with that. And like, everybody seemed really cool and not like, 
PhD personality, you know, that personality, like working with those fuck faces are the worst. Um, so yeah. And then I just hit it, hit the ground running and I was very successful. Um, I was a really good worker. I, I mean, I did anything they asked, right? I started off as a contractor and then within three months I was hired as full time. And, um, and I made my way through the ranks pretty fast. And then, um, and this was just as a technician, basically working with 500 to 15,000 liter scale bioreactors. So if you think of a bio, like a bioreactor as a brewery, have you seen those large metal contraptions it's very similar to that except for just like way more dangerous <laughs> you know because we have uh, steam in place we have cleaning solution in place like the pressure is insane like you there's so many ways you could get hurt um but I just like learned the ins and outs of everything and and I got on really well um and then I was like, all right, well, I can't do this forever because this is lame and this really isn't what I wanted to do, you know. Um, I wanted to do research. I wanted to find um, cellular pathways and learn about them, you know, or make things based on that information about that cellular pathway or whatever. Um, so I was like, I'm going to grad school. And I, at this time, was not dating that crazy guy. I was dating who I thought was somebody who was very stable. And I thought I had met the love of my life. Um, we had a dog, and it was great. And I, well, for the most part, um, and so he encouraged me to do grad school. And I was like, oh, I want to. So he was, you know, pretty supportive. Um, ironically enough... As soon as I graduated grad school, we broke up. So that's kind of interesting. That was rough. Um, but I started comedy. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyways, so I worked my way through grad school at Johns Hopkins for two years straight. I did not take any breaks. Because um, I was like, I can only do this in two years. I fucking hate school. And I'm done after this. I'm fucking done. So... Because I was working 12-hour shifts and attending classes. Like, it was so hard. But, they, what? How did you... Okay, I'll, I'll ask in a second. But, like, how did you not fall over? It's like... Well, I had to remove my aunt from my life. Because she was so controlling. This is Westminster aunt? Yeah. Okay. Like, is it, she's very much a part of my life. And I just think it's interesting since you know her like, um, how did I not fall apart? Well, because I had a dog and I had a man that were there for the most part. The dog was, it was really the dog. If I'm being honest, me and the dog slept in one bed and he slept in a different room. So, <laughs> but the dog, the dog saved my life and, and changed my life in a lot of ways um and I had good friends at the time and and I was really motivated to be at Johns Hopkins and I'm I'm very driven like I can do so much shit if I just 
literally plan it out. Like, I can do anything. Like, I know I can do anything, you know, that we're that kind of person. We always do that, you know? So, yeah, it's totally the Aries energy. So, um... And my job was cool with me studying on the job when I wasn't working. That's always a big help. And they moved me from night shift to day shift so I could actually get a normal sleeping schedule. So, um, sorry, I just had more thoughts. Uh, yeah, so then I graduated, broke up with a fuckface, moved in with my best friend in her one-bedroom apartment with her, and we slept in the same bed together for, like, two months um, before we got our own place, and that's how Izzy and I started living together for the first time. Well, I want to actually go back for a second. Okay. Because I think this is an important piece of this whole puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your graduate thesis was it your thesis so I took a program where it was a non-thesis and the degree was um a master's of science in biotechnology with a concentration in uh drug discovery technologies yeah and I ended up using that as a means to get in deeper into the company that I was working with. So I got a, after I grad, basically I got a job, um, in a lab in, at the headquarters of Metamune in a a small lab we call scale up, which is one of the most pertinent points of drug making is you have to scale up every idea that you have, right? Like you have to, is it manufacturable? What does that look like? So yeah, we can think of a drug and we can try to make it on a very small scale, but until you put it through the process of scaling, it's nothing to nobody. And that's the only way we can get it in a human. So it was a really important lab and what about the drug that you studied? Oh, the mom thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that was a huge part of Baltimore as well. I know. <clears throat> um, my last semester of grad school, I'm in a really cool clinical pharmacology class. And it's online, and I remember the teacher's name. Her name was Dr. Lisa Selby, and she was Australian. And the class was really fucking cool. Like, it was so interesting. Like, that's one thing I'll give Hopkins for this program. I learned about the biology of stress. What it actually does to our biology. Um, But anyway. Clinical pharmacology. And semester's almost over. So they're like, she's like, You need to, uh, your final report is on a drug of your choice. Um, and you have to like write about it and here's the guidelines. And so I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I don't want to do marijuana. Like that's my favorite. Right. But 
I don't know, and I don't remember in particular why I felt so inclined to do this, but I, um, and maybe it was because my brother had just moved, gotten sober and moved across the country, and so he was around more, and I think it was like stirring things up about our past and my mom, and so I was like, fuck it, I'm going to call California and I'm going to get my mom's autopsy, mm-hmm. and I'm... um I'm going to get her toxicology report and I'm going to see what it looks like. And maybe if there's drugs in there, those will be the drugs I write the report on. Because backstory, my mom's death certificate still says pending. And when she died 21 years ago, um, they just said her heart stopped beating. That's what we were told. That her heart stopped beating at 34 years old. Mm -hmm. Because that makes so much sense. Um, so that was like really a hard thing for me to live with for 16 years. I think it was not knowing how my mom died literally for 16 years. I, when people would say, what, how, how did your mom die? I don't know. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Uh, well, you didn't kill her. That would always be my response, but it, it really bothered me. Yeah. It, you know, it was like a thorn or like a knife in my side that constantly kept me wondering or obsessing of, you know, and being in that place. So, um, so I had, I talked to this lady and I just remember like, she was like, what, like looking back and like, I know I had to tell her why I was doing it. And when I told her, she was like, wow, like, oh my God, you know, okay. Like I'll send you the information. Um, and so I actually have two copies because for some reason she sent me two, but, um, I found two drugs in her toxicology report and one of them was phenobarbital, which is a drug that literally is given to cats, um, and like puts them under, like sedates them. Um, and I think other animals too, but backstory, my mom was a vet tech. She was actually the manager of a veterinary hospital before she died. And then the other drug was Valium. So a barbiturate and, um, I'm trying to remember what Valium is. Um, we can, we can I'll just pull it up. Just because it's really important to understand that those two types of drugs combined will actually make you stop breathing. Valium. A diazepam. It's like, uh, benzodiazepine. So a benzo and a barbiturate. In 1999, there wasn't really Google, there was Yahoo, and there was no information out there about combinations of drugs and what that would do to people's bodies. But now, in whatever year that was when I was graduating, I can't even remember, it was like five or six years ago, six years ago, um, 2014. A year in a cycle. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, 
it said there was a very high chance that with when those two are combined at a certain not very much um, dosage that there could be potential for uh, just um, stop like loss of breathing like you're not you stop breathing and so that's when I decided that's how she died I was like this is it like this is the only thing that makes sense the amounts are enough in her bloodstream right like obviously they only have the left the residual from whatever so you you know you know so obviously I didn't know like what type of pill she took or whatever but I know she stole the barbiturate from the job that she worked at and I know that my stepdad had Valium and my mom had a drug problem like it's not you know it's not a a secret so she was in a lot of pain all the time constantly um physical and emotional I mean they're the same you know remember that part of her yeah the pain yeah it was it was um I mean it was unbearable like she would be away she wasn't really there you know she was always like away in her room or away at work or we were always waiting for her you know it was always or she was always asleep or whatever so um and then there would be good times too but you could tell there was something was wrong and um she definitely also had mental illness um she was diagnosed with um at that time <laughs> bipolar but they used a different term for it so it it only makes sense um the only question that i was really left with at that point in time when i finally understood how she died was did she do it on purpose or not um, and that's still a question that I have. There's so much weird and strange things surrounding her death. You know, you could point in a yes direction and you could point in a no direction and both would have enough evidence to support it. So I, she, you know, I don't. I don't know. I think most of the time I just think that she did it on purpose. But right now I'm in a place where I'm like, maybe she didn't. It's just how I feel. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. It's weird. Do you ever talk to her ex or her, I guess, boyfriend at the time? Her husband. Her husband. I've blocked them for the last year. Yeah. Um, my brother had a baby and they said that they were going to come out and see the baby, but they wanted to know if it was his or not. Oh my god! And um, <laughs> that's my anger. <laughs> I get so mad. Yeah. At people. Oh, and the reaction to that request was not met. Uh, anyway, they decided to bail. I hate. Can I just say this? Say it, please. I hate when babies are used as fucking tools. Of anger, yes. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, by the way, most sweet little angel, like looking at those little eyes when I see you, like with her, like it's 
Like, how could you How could that? you? How could you even not want to meet that person? This is a, an amazing soul that we get in our family. Like, but they are the opposite of good people. So I just, that was my, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was, that, you know, they're conservative, they're racist, they're Republican. I mean, just put them on the list for America. And, <laughs> America. Right? Like, so it's almost like a blessing in disguise that um, she didn't have to meet them because they put so, they project so much bullshit. Like, I would be worried that they would already start putting thoughts in her head about being fat if they met her. Just because of my experience with my stepfather at the age of fucking 10 years old. Being, like, verbal, like, my, they, a lot of my family verbally had to comment out loud publicly about my body growing up. So, she doesn't need to be around that. No, she doesn't, but she has you, and that's a good thing. And she has her mom, who seems like Who's a amazing. Really, yeah. A really, really good mom. Like, the best mom. It's so, you know, that's something that we were talking about earlier is how comedy is kind of changing face. And even we went down to the comedy store and mm-hmm. there's that sign that says, Happy Birthday, Mitzi. Mm-hmm. And it's like thinking about this as a whole, like the whole view of mothers and not just like a mother, but like community mm-hmm. of women mm-hmm. and how that has had kind of how it's just kind of starting to bud again Mm -hmm. because we you and I I feel like we had in a lot of ways especially you you had to mother yourself and you had to mother your brother Mm -hmm. at a very young age Mm -hmm. like how old you were 11 yeah but I had been taking care of him since I was like six like my mom has been you know depressed so I would have to take care of in those times. And you fed him, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have to give us dinner and stuff like that. So she would be asleep. So now you're here and I, that's why I kind of feel like now you have like... It's almost like the universe is like taking care of you like yeah. a mother. Because it's like you took care of so many people all your life. Yeah. How did you survive like... When you moved, so you were here in L. You were here in um Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, San. Oh, uh, San Jose. San Jose. Mm-hmm. So when did they move you out to Maryland? Basically, like my mom died on Valentine's Day, and then by May, they were like, "But as soon as the school year is over, you're gone." And then my dad made me fly out. And how was that? And you got your period at your mom's funeral. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up really quick, right? Like, um, it was awful. That was probably the hardest time in my entire life. Like, forever. Like, all of it. Like, that through high school was literally the most painful existence I ever had. Like, hands down. But, luckily, I don't have any of that. And I feel, like, anymore, and I feel almost like, um, not almost, I feel grateful that it happened now, 
I needed that grit, you know? I needed that, um, what do they call it, contrast to be able to, like, have what I have right here and appreciate it. Yeah. You know? I think there's a difference between having it just to have it. And it's not a lot, but it's mine, and it's nice. And I, you know, I don't know if I would have this if I didn't, everything that I went through, if it didn't happen, I don't know if I would be this, who I am right now, you know? And I think that might just be the only way I deal with things, (laughs) is by believing that. Well, I, I see it. I've seen, like, we've, like, I feel like we've grown up together. Yeah. And I feel like seeing you grow up, like, seeing you from Baltimore to here, or, like, it's not that you're not a different person. You're still Nikki. Yeah. But it's, like, it is, like, watching somebody become themselves. I feel like. Yeah. And I feel, you know, it's hard when you feel abandoned or when you are abandoned to not want to please people and not want them I don't know did you find yourself like always yeah I was I'm and to a certain extent with certain parts of my life I still am and I, I I'm trying to get away from that and you know understand like why I need validation from certain things and people and you know, I think it's really healthy to look at that because it all comes from those experiences and they can be really negative behaviors if you hold on to them, you know? But when you were in Baltimore, mm-hmm. when did you start getting the pangs to, to come west well, again? I mean, I, they never stopped. I had, I mean, I look back on my Facebook memories, and they'll be like, uh, like two weeks ago, there was like something like eleven years ago, being like, does somebody want to move to California with me? Like, um, looking at schools in California, like, I constantly was having the conversation with my family that was out here at the time, being like, I want to come back, like I'm ready, but I didn't have any means to do so. And that is why I'm super grateful for my career because if I didn't have that, it would have been much more difficult to come out here. But I felt like somehow in the background, I knew the only way back was experience and, um, you know, being sought after in a field of um, that and and having that experience and, and going to grad school and working in that lab and um, working in biotech, you know? So that was really a good on me for wanting to, or for somehow just getting in, in, getting in. I didn't even know about that industry until I was in it. They don't talk about that at college. They don't talk about bioreactors at college. They don't. They don't talk about how the drugs that we make. They talk about chemistry. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about biologics. Not then, anyways. Maybe now. But it was very interesting. 
It's very interesting how the science system is set up. Well, I mean, all I guess for everybody's professional development, but I feel like it's they still have this old world approach to science, and it really, really makes me mad because occasionally you'll get speakers at the college like telling you about their research, but I really wish that um, they did. If I were to like recommend the colleges, like train us to be researchers. Like I was lucky because I had organic chemistry, and he he just gave us this is what he did. Oh, organic one, he gave you know we learned the basics. Mm -hmm. In organic two, if you um, if you passed organic one, and you went into two, he let us alone for the whole semester. We had like a few classes. But that's it. And like he, in a lab, just playing around. He gave us each um, a chemical, and he fucked with us. Like he had a really fucked up sense of humor, and he just was like, you know, you figure it out. Yeah. And he gave us one vial. You were not allowed to know what it was. It was a mystery, and um, you just had to go blind in for the whole semester. That's so cool. Yeah, and he would not replace it. If you fucked up your your chemical, he was he wouldn't replace. He, he was like, well, then you've... That's it. That's it. That's then it. you failed. Damn. What was your chemical? Um, I remember it was a nitrate of some kind. Hmm. I don't remember what the actual name of it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like he tailored certain chemicals. And the way that I saw that um, his name was Dr. Smith, he... The last people, because some people just, like, figured it out immediately, the last people at the bitter end of the semester Mm -hmm. were all the people who went into research. It's like he knew who was going to end up. That's so funny. And he gave us all the hardest ones. And we lived in that lab for the whole semester. And you liked it? I mean, it's, you know, how it feels to be late, late night, nobody's there, you have music on. It feels good. Like, you feel at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I did that. I mean, not organic chem, but um, molecular. We had a really cool Dr. Hem, me and my best friend Dana. We fucking loved it. He basically, and I can't remember how it went, but we um, genetically engineered glow-in-the-dark shit into some bacteria to see if it would work and it fucking worked and it was hella tight and we were like oh my god like we're so cool and then before you know it she's working on viruses and I'm working on fucking t-cells that's awesome and it's you know what's so weird Nikki is like you came out here to interview for a job oh that was so weird and what was that October yes September okay so I had October 1st I moved out here, we were officially here, me and my ex, on July 20th, was my first date at Yoga Work Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. So we slept in the car. And you I came out work. here before me. Yeah, we were a month, I think we were a month or two apart. Two. Well, I came in November. You came in November, but you came out here to the I store. I started, yes. Remember, because I had so many interviews. Yep. So we were still seeing each other, because I would be out here. Yeah. Well, the one weird thing, so if you feel comfortable, because I really do feel like your Kill Tony experience was very magical and kismet-like. So weird. Um, But we met at the store, 
Like, we met up at the store. Yep. You were out here for an interview. And I had just done the interview. And apparently that guy was super sexist, the, the hiring manager. And somebody under him is now my boss, and she's amazing. <laughs> but that was a different company, right? The first Same one? Same company, just oh. a different site. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I interviewed at both sites for the company that I work at now. Where's their other site, if you don't... El Segundo. Okay, so you would have been... But you're in a better place now. Santa Monica's killer. Yeah. Can't, how can you complain about literally working on the beach? It's beautiful out there. It's like... It's so beautiful. And how did you feel... Like, I honestly feel every time we go to the store, mm-hmm. especially in each other's presence, although, like, you know, anytime we go to the store, there's always something magical that mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Every time. Mm-hmm. Like, even the last time I feel like we had a little bit of magic there when we were there. Right, when it was, like, very private. Yeah. And yeah. nobody came out the whole time, and I was, like, nervous that they were going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It was just a really good day for me because I had that interview. I felt like I killed it. Then I went out on the pier and I, this guy wanted to take pictures of me, but like not in a creepy way and like a, like a professional way. And I got like a really cool picture off of like off him because of that. (laughs) And then I, and then I fucking drove up the coast in a really tight, uber car whatever and got dropped off at the co- the comedy store and I just felt like such a badass mm-hmm. I was like gonna go meet my friends and try to get up and you know and so I was like fuck it I feel so confident I'm gonna sign up for Kill Tony and boom first first, first one to draw first shit my one. pants before yeah. I even got up there you killed it though I mean <laughs> you you're just being kind you killed it no that show is so they they set you up so that they can fucking try and knock you down Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't take their shit you know yeah I mean I didn't have a good set like nobody laughed at my jokes um because they were really dark they were great jokes but and they were like little they were like really dark one-liners but I was like still happy that I did them even though, like, I feel like if I just didn't go first, like, people would have laughed. But you can't, like, start off super fucked up, you know? Well, you went up there. You're a beautiful girl. You're a beautiful, beautiful woman, I should say. You're, <laughs> you're a beautiful woman. And you went up there, and I think people were expecting something else. Sometimes, yeah. like, we do have to win over a crowd. Like, yes, and yeah. I didn't buffer shit no i went straight to the heart you went i raw. stabbed them real hard real quick and and those jokes work so like it was just i only had one minute and i was like well i just want to do what i am passionate about like if i'm gonna do this like so many people hit me up like it even though i bombed like people were still like dude like that was so cool and like props to you and like whatever because of the interview that we had, mm-hmm. uh, I at least um, didn't bomb that part. I didn't bomb the interview. You killed the interview. Yeah. You so, it was cool. Record. Yep. We're here. We're queer. We've got cracked heels. <laughs> 
My recording has an hour limit, so it cut us off when we talked about Kill Tony. Oh, right. That's where we were. Kill we, Tony. We were killing Tony in the interview. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were making fun of how I looked. Cause you I, shaved your head. I shaved my head, and I had bangs still. Which was pretty badass. It was pretty badass. Why'd you shave your head? Um, so I had an undercut and really long hair and kept cutting and cutting. And then my, um, friend got cancer, my friend at Metamune. And, um, I don't know. I was like, I don't want any more hair and maybe I'll give it to her. Um, so turns out it's way too expensive to make human hair wigs. Yeah. It's like $5,000. Like nobody has that. Like if you have cancer, you're clearly not going to be able to afford a $5,000 wig. So, I mean, unless you're like super rich, but you're, you're spending so much money on your treatment. Like the last thing you can really worry about is like the fucking (laughs) price of your wig. It's my hair. Okay. (laughs) Um, anyway, so it was kind of like a double, it was like a, I don't really want this anymore and maybe she could use it. It was a, even though I felt like for most of my life, I always hid behind my hair and I never thought I would have short hair again. Uh, again, yeah. So really weird, but kill Tony, right? Kill Tony. Yeah. Kill Tony. (laughs) Cracked heel Tony. <laughs> um, anyway, so they were... And the guy who was, like, the guest wasn't even, like, a good one. Who was the guest for Like, you? a fucking writer, like, TV show, like, family comedy right? Like, nobody, like, cool, like, fucking Bobby Lee or, you know, somebody, like, who actually fucking matters. <laughs> That's my slight back at them. Um, to that person that said my shirt looked like his kids' curtains. That was literally his fucking whatever. That <laughs> um, was his jab. Yeah, that was his jab. Like, obviously. Bitch, we watching you, bitch. Right? <laughs> we watched you in the fucking wings, bitch. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what's your name again? <laughs> here, here, have some curtains with my fucking period. <laughs> yeah. I just squatted all over the shit. In (laughs) fact, I took a shit and period blood on it. Are these your kids' curtains? Oh, you mean your abortion child? Anyway. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, And then Brian Redbrand was like, how long have you been doing comedy? But I feel like he does that to everybody, so... He just naturally fucks with people. That's his natural, like, reaction to anybody who does kill Tony. And then Tony and I were talking about what I was there and um, why I was in town. And I started telling him about the interview. And he was like, why don't you do a science jokes? That's my impression of Tony Hinchcliffe. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you do a science jokes? And I was like, I do. And he was like, oh yeah, tell me one. And so I started telling this really funny science joke. And he ruined the punchline because he decided to say his version of the punchline before I said mine. But I 
somehow managed to get my punchline in there, too. But it was kind of perfect. It was. It aligned with everything that was happening. Yeah. It was really perfect. Yeah. So, it was good. But he was... They're just... Yeah. So. Um, And then I've had numerous weird interactions with one of the guys from that band that was on stage and he remembers me and he's nice to me when I see him at open mic so like that's good um but he made a funny joke about uh lumberjacks or something cause I John Chopkins like cause I was say, <laughs> I said they asked where like I went to school and like, it was really funny. Do you remember that? Like, I still remember his fucking <laughs> hilarious-ass, like, funny thing. So, that was funny. And then, yeah, that was that for me. And then it just killed Tony. Basically hit all of our friends over the next few weeks. Not hit, like, that, but, like, all of them got up. Right? You were... We were talking about this the other day. Yeah. It was... At the time, I was living at what I call Hobart House, because I was living in down Sunset here, because I was a single gal at the time, um, very recently, and uh, I broke up with somebody in the comedy store. That place is so magical. <laughs> that place is so magical, but it's, yeah, I went up, like, I think a week later, um, and then Vanessa... Yeah, it was, like... Literally the next week. But I was gone, but I saw it on Facebook. I still occasionally will get somebody that sends me a message about that. And they'll be like, I had somebody send me a message that's like, Hey, my boyfriend's a huge Kill Tony fan, and I'm an astrologer, and uh, we loved your set. And it was such a sweet like gesture, because when you're in the middle of it, that minute goes by so quick. And you, whether you have pacing or timing on a joke, it's really tough, because... I'm not a short form comic at all. And so I really practiced beforehand um, to get it down to a minute. But, you know, and then you read the comments and it's like. I didn't read the comments. Girls aren't funny. You call that a joke? Like, it's like. I would. I. Oh, you know what? I did read the comments and they were talking about my body. That's probably what it was. It's always about, like, yeah. Yeah, I try not to read comments of things that I'm involved in. I, Even if I'm not famous, I'm just like, I'm just not going to read the comments. Like, I'd rather just, like, not know, you know? Like, I think it, it helps my mental health in so many ways. I love to come back. Meaning, really? Like, I love, like, I think it's because... I do love to roast Mm. that it's like if people are going to roast me I really want to roast them back Mm. because I understand troll culture in that capacity it's Mm -hmm. dudes in their basement who are afraid to leave their house right who want to be comics or they want to at least but they're too scared to talk Mm -hmm. so their way to like actually be a comic is online you know and maybe most of them have Asperger's who the fuck knows (laughs) I mean, there's something definitely there, you know. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. Uh, I've been only, like, I've only been trolled a few times and I just don't like it. I just try to disengage. I'm just like, 
not having it. Like, now if you want to get in a fight with me on the street about your dog not being on a leash, <laughs> that's another. <laughs> I'll throw bows. Why do you, okay, so we went on a hike this morning. <laughs> yeah. And people are ridiculously stupid about this their dogs. This person had a boxer. Yep. That wasn't on a fucking leash. And then they had a Dalmatian on no leash or no collar. Which, a Dalmatian? Are you serious? Those are very aggressive Yes. Dogs. They have, you know, just aggressive tendency. That was the only one that wasn't weird, surprisingly, of the three. But, um, yeah, it was just, it's a, it's a pandemic <laughs> of idiots. A, a literal mental pandemic. Well, it's like... All the people, and I said this, I'm going to keep, this is my new tagline. All the people who aren't wearing masks are the same fucking people who aren't putting their dogs on leashes. And I, I see it. I've seen it just walking down this street. Yes. yes. Do you have a neighbor right there that I has know. no mask? And no mask, not? no leash. Every time. Like, and just a side note, they're mostly all white men. <laughs> <laughs> the creators of the virus. As I say. <laughs> That's so funny. I just, I feel like, I don't know. We are here for a purpose out here for, during this time. Like, there's gotta be a reason why. Because I feel like the West called me. Mm-hmm. It, like, was in my bones. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt the pull. And even, like, being in Joshua Tree now, like, I felt when my friend was, like, come stay with me, I was, like, oh, yeah, it felt like breathing. It just Mm -hmm. felt like, okay, I'm gonna go there. Mm -hmm. And then even coming here for this weekend was, like, I had been, you were the reason why I'm here this weekend. Like, Mm -hmm. you were, like, do the Aries thing. Do the Aries thing. Like. Yep, exactly. Yeah. uh, I think about it often. I'm, like, why the, how the fuck did I get here? But also, I like it. But also, like, how? Like, what is the reason? Because this is such an interesting place to be right now. And I mean that in every literal way possible. Not just, like, what... Not just in L.A. in a pandemic. It's, like, in in my own space, in my own apartment, with my new dog. Like, it's such an interesting place to be as an individual in this world right now, like all of the other things that are happening to each and every one of us every day right now is, I don't know. I feel like different than since before March. Like for me, I call it before March and after March. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it's more than just a global pandemic. And like I said, civil uprising. Yeah, it's spiritual war, as we've discussed off, you know, there's a spiritual war going on, and this weekend is, it feels like kickoff, it feels like a kickoff. So my cousin mentioned, because my, her mom is super spiritual, that this is part of the ascension process, and I find that very interesting, because even though there's so much chaos and uncertainty happening around me right now, I feel more centered and alive than before. Yeah. I feel like we're going to... I feel like when 
I know a lot of people are leaving LA. Mm-hmm. I don't feel called to leave California at all. I feel the opposite. I'm like, I'm digging my feet in. Yeah. To the sand. I'm planting roots right now. That's how I feel too. That's why I got her. I was like, starting my own family. Basically. You know, even if it's just me and my dog, uh, uh, hit me up if you're interested in <laughs> being a part. But you just can't be like crazy, okay? <laughs> yeah I felt called to like go on the road like that's one thing comedy wise I'm always like ready to go on the road but and even in the little house I'm staying in now I know I'm gonna leave that I can already feel the pangs of having to leave but where I'm getting called back is here and I'm Mm -hmm. like how am I going to live here financially again and what is to come like I really feel drum beats like mm-hmm. energetic drum beats but for some reason when we walked into the comedy store and we saw that Mitzi happy birthday Mitzi and you're like I feel her around when you're here like I was reminded of why I came here and it was to be there it was not to be anywhere other I know same that's the only re- I mean obviously I always wanted to be back in California because that's where my heart is but I mean, ever since I made my effort, it was always because of the comedy store. And and even when I moved out here, like, I avoided it. It's a big place. It's hard. You know what we first, what we, I think we did on Friday or Thursday night was we were able to go there free of judgment. For the first fucking time ever in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's really bizarre and very true. That's the first time we got to just like actually be kids. Well, at grandma's feel house. Accepted. Or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Mitzi's grandma. Yeah. No, that's I didn't think about it like that. Huh. Like, because think about all the times we've been there even when like late night there's still people in the back in the parking lot talking like even at 3 a.m people are still showing there so it's like you know you still have that we still have that at least for me have a guard up on like you know i mean i did have a little bit of a guard up i was like if they come out here i'm leaving oh i I, would just tell them the you know you know but no but i think that was me being like i'm not ready to be back in that judgment judgment zone yeah you know like I felt like as soon as somebody would have come out they would have like yelled at us or like whatever like and remember how I interacted to when dude pulled up I like immediately just like didn't even want to acknowledge it was happening because I was like you're right like it was judgment free and I haven't had to deal with that because I haven't been doing comedy (laughs) so I haven't had to feel that and the, I think, but I really honestly think this way. That's how bad we want it so much. It's so easy. Do you do you ever find that sometimes you avoid the thing you want the most? Yeah. Because it hurts so bad? Yeah. I've literally had to, every day, my heart, talk to my heart about comedy. Because... Of how ingrained it is in me at this point in time. And be like, it's okay to take a break. 
I know this isn't what you planned, and I know that you're like, but what if we forget it? No. Take the time. The world, this is here, this time is here for a reason. Take it. Don't try to pass it by, you know? And and that was my, like, that's my body being like, bitch, slow the fuck down. Like, I've been really considering the last six years and how hard Mm. I have worked at comedy to only then this year, you know, have one of the backbones of my comedy career, which was the ladies writers group Mm -hmm. be stripped from my being, so to speak. And, you know, uh, I wonder how much that plays into why I just have no drive or desire. I feel hurt. I feel betrayed. It was, from an outsider's perspective, can I tell you what, it was what, sometimes we, like, for example, I moved out with an ex. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was right, because we both needed to go on that spiritual journey. I feel like it was the same for you. It was that writer's group that was your magnet to get you sort of a you know start so you wouldn't be a alone that's all it was all I was trying to do was cultivate not having to be navigate through the scene alone and we weren't really alone because you're here Vanessa's here I'm here no women yeah alone means being surrounded by men that's what alone means in comedy. You know? Yeah, it's... And... I came here on a backbone of women. I didn't come here for any... Through any man. You know what I mean? So... It's... It's just a sore spot right now for me I think and I didn't even think about how that could contribute to my lack of you know desire I mean I'm doing you know I'm I'm still talking to myself about it I'm still talking to myself about comedy and like thinking about the future and like what what are my goals because I feel like I've lost sight of that too you know like you said, we came out here for the store. Well, I lost sight of that over the last year and a half. And I mean, for me, it was tough because when, when my dad went through heart surgery, I had no choice but to go to Maryland. And even though they'll never admit that, that my parents are too proud, they'll never admit that they needed me during that time. Um, I know I had to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was healing quote-unquote, but it was also, I've never felt sovereign, and this is, I said this on my live stream yesterday, sitting, I was sitting on the floor, and she was on the couch, and I was like, LA is the first place ever, and even after living in New York for so long, where I picked comedy over anything else, Mm -hmm. because in New York, it was science and comedy, Mm -hmm. and recovering from leaving science, and the guilt with that, Mm -hmm. And then 
you and I kind of at the same time were going through certain repressed memories, like mm-hmm. when we were in Baltimore, that were peeking through and mushroom journeys mm-hmm. and healing, healing, all my mushroom healing. Yeah, I really feel, and I hope eventually it gets adopted into the vernacular that it's mushroom medicine and not a drug. I mean, I recently started seeing a chiropractor, and I told her in our my intake that, because she was like, what about anxiety, depression? I was like, I don't have it anymore. Like, what? You're not taking any medicine for anxiety? or de- No, I, I did mushrooms for the last five years. Like, I'm good. Yeah. It's, it's insane. I mean, all intentional, right? Like, that was the purpose, but like, like, you know, yeah, uh, I get irritated or overwhelmed, but, like, chronic anxiety is not a thing for me. Chronic depression is, I have not been depressed in, like, three years. And I was diagnosed with clinical depression. Um, so, I, you know, and it's helped with, um, I have complex PTSD and it's helped with that too. So because of the mushrooms, I was able to be diagnosed with, I think what has really been the problem the whole time, which is PTSD. Yeah. A friend of mine said to me, you know, she had all these diagnoses, right? And she was doing like a journey, like a spirit walk. She's also first nations in Canada. So she's very like, spirits will come out and talk to her and stuff Mm -hmm. but I remember she always said that she's a social worker now she works with kids or Mm -hmm. youth she was like I got all these diagnoses when I was younger she's like one day I was just somebody said I think it's just PTSD and she's like immediately it just clicked for her she's like why do we have to keep diagnosing people with things when really it's just you had trauma happen and now you're learning how to cope with it in yeah. a weird-ass world. Well, and not only that, like, you ha- you developed, like, not healthy behaviors because of your trauma. And now you have to relearn better, healthier behaviors. Mm-hmm. You can't just keep coping, right? Like, coping only gets us so far. And so that's why it's, like, relearn, like... We, we gotta call it like it is, which is why you have to be, like, so honest with yourself. Because if you can't be, like, you know, like, shit, maybe I shouldn't have fucked those last three guys. You know, maybe two of them without a condom, like, fuck, you know? We have different... <laughs> Mine's ice cream. <laughs> I mean, I have that one, too, but... But, you know what, I'm just saying, like, we all cope, and they're not healthy. Yep. So... Uh, and that one's a really dark one, sex. That one's a really hard one, too. And, and you went, can, can I ask you about that? Because sure. I remember when you stayed at, at my apartment that one mm-hmm. day on the couch, I was like, you had left really early in the morning, and I was like, I wonder if it's A, the energy of my apartment, because I did live in a weird place. Mm-hmm. But also, B, I wondered if it was because I lived across from that church Mm -hmm. that you kind of were, like, in that memory space. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think it was just a really... 
what ended up happening after that was um, right before I had my repressed memory surface. So I was already in a completely different place. Like I was rapidly transforming in those moments that it was like going on. Um, and I was brought to your house because I needed to reflect back because my question was why am I the way that I am about certain things and it bothers me so much um, that I have a hard time saying no or I like can't control my impulses or like whatever um, and I had forgot that uh, that period of time that I had mentioned in the beginning of our conversation um, when I was dating that crazy guy off OkCupid he kind of like confronted me like pretty early on in our relationship and was like, I think you're a sex and love addict. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I mean, only like takes one to know one, you know? And I was like, uh, oh, what is that? And then he like showed me like the list and I was like, fuck. And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? And he's like, I mean you know, this is probably a really unhealthy relationship and da 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 and, like, maybe you should try to go to some meetings. And I was like, okay. So, I mean, I rotated between Al-Anon, S-L-A-A, A-A, N-A, like, all of it. Um, and I put myself through that. I What's got that? A, What's N-A? Narcotics Anonymous. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Um... Just because I would go to meetings that he would go to, and they all have the same exact platforms, just different content, and, like, at, at that time, like, clearly I can relate, I mean, at, at least with marijuana, right? So it's, like, um, with that and, you know, drinking and stuff. So I was just, like, on this journey to, like, fucking figure it out, you know? And um, the one that... Um, where I found the most truth was actually um, Al-Anon and finding out that I was an adult child of an alcoholic. That was like, oh, shit, because that's where it all started. Mm -hmm. Like, sex is just a byproduct of being traumatized as a child, you know? Like, it's not... It's not like... You have to fix the core problem of being an adult child before you can even, like, worry about why you're doing what you're doing sexually. So, because I think once I figured that out, I was like, now I understand more about myself or whatever, you know, in certain ways that I am a people pleaser or need validation in certain ways and from certain people and all of that. Um, but it didn't last long, like, you know, I got a sponsor in that, and um, I sometimes think about it, but I don't really know what happened. We started, like, working on a workbook, and it was, you know, a little, it was pretty difficult, um, but I, it, it fell off, and I just kept moving on, so. It's so, I don't know if we said this, so the night that you, because we had all come through Gettysburg. It's so interesting because I just spoke to Tony Viagra 
on the podcast and that's the night I kind of met him and we I all think got, so yeah and we all got dinner there in Gettysburg but the weird part is like we went down the battlefield roads and those are like some haunted ass roads that was weird and then we just randomly ended up taking a turn and there was this weird tree and I still remember like you had just found like you had shipped out all of your mom's stuff yeah and you found that picture, and I actually brought a picture in my car, I'll show it to you, because I found a picture, too, that popped out when I got up. I had all st- stuff in storage in Vegas, and it's my horse with a tree in the background, and it kind of reminds me of yours, because you found a picture of you and your mom. It was you and your mom, yep. right, with, like, a tree in the background? Yeah. It was, like, this cool tree, and, like, I was walking in front of her, and it was very symbolic. Um, she was, like, standing behind some bushes. And that was after the trip, then, the mushroom trip that basically changed everything. Um, right? Yeah, that was. Because it was, like, repressed memory boxes mm-hmm. and I made the most amazing joke about the boxes because they were so heavy that and the and like the guy when I went to go pick them up the guy obviously didn't know what was inside but it was I was re- so so um so we I have I'm waiting for these boxes so in these boxes are things of my mother's that I potentially have never seen before and could tell me information about my past and maybe hers. And it came after a time when I had a repressed memory. So it was like very important to me that it, I called my aunt and I told her about the memory. And she was like, well, I have this stuff. Like, do you want it? And I was like, of course I want it. Like, I want any piece of her that I've never gotten before. Like, you know, it's going on 20 years. Um... So, in UPS store, and he's handing me the second box, and he's like, gosh, this is so heavy. And I was like, yeah, you don't even know. Like, you know, like, it was so funny that he had to comment on how heavy it was, because, yeah, that is some heavy shit in there. Uh, And it was like, I got, well, so the most important thing I ended up finding was, um, a calendar of and a journal but it was it was like I don't know people used to do this back in the day or at least my mom and my but dad both did they would have like a calendar and they would like write like two sentences about their day or something like it was so strange or like a really weird blurb just like on the side of a calendar paper I don't know so it was that was important that was important evidence for my what I needed to know, so. I mean, that was such a pivotal time. I really feel like it was, like, a complete chapter close. Yeah. Complete, and we got lost in Gettysburg in the battlefields and ended up on a side road with, like, a weird tree. Uh, up, un, upturned. Yeah. It was the creepiest tree, but it was also, like, oh, the tree. And then I, for some reason, passed out. Like, I was driving, and I couldn't drive. I had to have somebody else drive, and then I fell asleep in the back. Yeah. 
And you guys, I think, ended up going all the way through York, Pennsylvania, which is so weird. Did we? Yeah, you went all the way through York. Like, the, you guys, I remember waking up and, and I remember hearing you guys trying to navigate. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, like, the GPS went out or something. I don't know. But then we ended up back at that place. And then the next day, that's when you were asleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe an hour or two after you left, a water main, like a water thing, not a water main. It was like, um, what do you call those things? underground sinkhole sinkhole mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. right on the road and the whole road flooded and i was just there all day with like flooded road it was so spirit that's spiritual shit right there mm-hmm. and then i think that is when i found out like what's that what oh i went and did breath work Kundalini? No. uh, Another kind. Basically, I went and... Okay, so now it's coming back to me. So I had not had my mushroom trip yet because I did breath work and then did mushrooms. I did mushrooms because my uncle died. And my dad was, like, losing his mind. And I was like, I got to do mushrooms before I go see my dad. Mm -hmm. And that's when the repressed memory came. So... Um, but I was still transforming. It was like building. It was very tense and emotional period of time. Like we were all like, what the fuck is going on right now? You know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I wonder if I didn't get that picture in the box and I just found that picture in an album. Well, the picture had been there already because, and I, and I didn't notice it until then. Cause I really do feel like wherever we, Cockeysville, Hunt Valley area is kind of like this enchanted forest area. Mm -hmm. It also has a lot of Civil War history. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, um, Sinclair Media is based out of there. And Sinclair is where all of the news comes from. Like, all local news comes from. Like, there's a lot of weird shit there. There's McCormick is there. Mm -hmm. Um, I did mushrooms there once, and I had Baphomet walk out of the closet and turn a wheel. And I was told, welcome to Baphomet's lair, that this, that whole region was a territory of Baphomet. Mm -hmm. And I was told, you're going to be safe, but your job here is to help cleanse this area. But what they said the cleansing was, was, you know, I got followed by police all the time. Did I ever tell you that story? Yeah, because it happened right after. It was the creepiest thing, and if 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 the person that pulled up behind me didn't pull up, I honestly, I kind of think back, and I was wondering if he was scouting me, meaning like... Gonna murder you later? No, I, what, like, actually, like, sexual assault type oh. stuff. Oh. Because it, it happens Yeah. with I police know. officers. Yeah, uh, absolutely it does. And it felt like he, because he kept coming closer to me, mm-hmm. and I was getting the car ready to go on the road, and I just felt like this, like, predatory feel. It wasn't like he was trying, like, I if the person, because as soon as the person pulled up, he backed away. It wasn't like he could mm-hmm. do anything to us. It was almost like he knew my schedule, and he followed me. That kind of feeling. That's so weird. But he was a police officer, Baltimore County. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot. 
Like, I think about that a lot, actually. Like, I go back to that moment, and I'm like, I don't think that that was for the law. I think he was doing that for his own, like, thing. I don't know why I always think about that, but the police were really weird in that area. Yeah, well, they're also probably all in the KKK. Those particular ones, yes. In that area. In that area, in particular. I'm pretty sure we talked about that, like around that time yeah I do wish that there would be more discussion like about that I always feel bad for being like because I texted a friend of mine who was a cop a Baltimore City cop Mm -hmm. and he left the force Mm -hmm. because of things like that because it's so corrupt it's super corrupt super corrupt but I know we've done this for I guess, like, two hours and something like oh, that. Oh, really? I, did, I just want to make sure that, that, you know... How long do they usually go for? Um, I usually do an hour just because of my recording oh, okay. um, limits. But um, I do want to say, like, how are you feeling now, like, these days? I know we... Oh, like, I, I mean, I think things are right where they need to be, you know? Yeah. I'm, like, happy... You know? I feel like we're going to find comedy again. I think it'll be much um, better in a lot of ways. And I'm hoping it can just turn more feminine into a more feminine, energetic experience than so much masculinity. Yeah. I didn't tell anybody this, I don't think. Maybe I've talked about it on my podcast, but what I was told um, for the four days I did mushrooms at my little place Mm -hmm. is that this is what, this is what's really hard. You know, I had a repressed memory. I was shown that I've always, you've always kind of known about, but I've always denied it Mm -hmm. because it's something, you know, and I still deny it. I'm Mm -hmm. still in denial. Yep. Um, You know, I'm trying to deal with that feeling um which also is very freeing because it it makes when a repressed memory comes up it kind of lets you know that you're not crazy yep that's how I felt but then I was like wait am I crazy yeah and then you like go through this like whole thing and then I immediately went into therapy because I was like I almost thought I was like losing grasp of reality well, I was just in the middle. I have found an EMDR therapist in Joshua Tree that I really liked their credentials, and I needed to work with a woman. Mm-hmm. And then about three days later, I lost my main job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I guess this is the universe being like, you can handle this on your own right now, or at least for now. Um, yeah. But the mushroom said to me, they made me sit on the floor, and I was telling you, they made me face the bathroom. Mm-hmm. The other thing they told me was, this is not your fault. All of this that's going on, they were like, this is not your fault. And they were like, the patriarchy is getting punished right now. The matriarchy will be rewarded at the end of this. You just have to be patient. And you have to see how certain patriarchs are acting out right now. And I've seen it in my own life where it's like, my intuition is telling me this. I have followed my gut mm-hmm. 
we have followed our gut here. Mm-hmm. But this is the, the, the rug being taken from under us because the foundation of capitalism, the patriarchy, and the poison patriarchs, which I don't care if people do not acknowledge that, there is a reason why those words are painted onto the store wall. There is a reason why those words are painted there about the belly room. Mm-hmm. I see this as this is going to be a fight, but I'm here for it. And comedy by God is coming back by goddess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, mm. I've had too much coffee. Ah, no, that's you. <laughs> Passion. Fiery Aries. Passion. But it's just like. Women are not here to clean up the mess of men. That is not our job, but for some reason that has become a spiritual job in certain ways. I mean, we could even take it as far as, like, you know, the women's movement in history, right? Like, women's suffrage in the 1920s, obviously not black women, but white women, but we still live in a structure where women have such an idea. Basically all men project their idea of what we should be. And there, I feel there are very few that think outside the box of that. And because of that, because so many men do, we are, because they rule the world, because they create, white men create everything. It's like you're stuck in this box. They put us all in our own boxes. Through societal norms and stereotypes and uh, everything. Everybody's in a box. White women are in a box. Black women are in their own box. I mean, look at that mural that's out there. That's one that, I feel like that's progress, like looking at that. Oh, every time it warms my heart. But... So, and I don't know if this is like a radical idea and people might hate me for thinking this, but maybe COVID is here to kill the old patriarch off and then that at least we have a fighting chance now to change the structure and to normalize Um, women to allow black people to be actually equal like maybe uh, (laughs) it's all happening in conjunction because it's like you can't really do that unless you remove the cancer you have to remove the cancer who's cancer old white dudes I know that's generalizing but at this point I don't give a fuck anymore it's true. If we don't get them out of here or somehow hope that they change their fucking mind, let alone, it's in their DNA, okay? Mm-hmm. It's, it, we're done. Their time is done. You know, it's like goodbye to the cancer. COVID's the chemo for us, right? It's killing off. I mean, I know it's killing young people, too, but I think the majority of people who are dying are older people, 
And obviously, that's not to say that it's not killing a lot of um, people of color who are in poverty-stricken areas, right? And also, not only that, but the care that they receive is just less than, and it's like, it's like a whole cycle. So I know that, but on some level, we are getting some of the shit cleaned out here. I kind of, you look at it as old white men, I look at it as the old bureaucratic system of capitalism that we And that too. That's been imprinted as the right system. But that's, once yeah. again, old white guys, right? Well, yeah, like the, you know, when I did ayahuasca, I was shown that smallpox was kind of this virus that imprinted in people's brains, and it became sort of this epigenetic imprint, mm-hmm. um, and that it was actually a her- heredity virus. And the way that they showed me the heredity was in the founding fathers. They actually had imprinted in their brain. Now, if that's right or if it's wrong, I'm not sure. But I think, you know, a lot of times psychedelics give you these metaphors, too. Mm -hmm. But they showed me, you know, thank you, stomach, for confirming. (laughs) I wish my stomach wasn't, like, my hit. Because it's just like, (laughs) I'm a turtle. (laughs) But that's, like, part of... You can't build a country on a foundation of taking people's land who, by the way, this was their pad, this was their home, like, and then also enforcing rules upon, like, that would be like me walking into somebody's house and being like, okay, so now you put your bed here and this is what you do and like... And it's mine, but you still have to pay rent. Exactly. Now just go into this one corner over here. And you're not allowed to do anything. And then we're going to import these kings and queens from Africa and make them do our, you know, labor for us because, you know, there is something incredibly spiritual and... I know that might be, like, a very controversial idea to joke around about COVID because I know it does affect black people disproportionately, but on some level, you have to wonder... All those old people are dying like you know less votes for maybe conservative approach to things or whatever I don't know I don't know but it's finally a chance for maybe change it's a chance yeah <laughs> Nikki I appreciate you being on this podcast so much <laughs> I hope Thanks. we can do this again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I had a good time. Thanks for letting me talk your face off. Is there anything you would like to promote or? Uh, um. Yeah, I have an Instagram at nfuchs, and um, the link in the bio is for another podcast I just did. So if you're, if you, I know I wasn't really funny, but um, oh, this is this is all about soul searching here. Yeah, but. The other podcast is me being silly and talking about my dog, so fuck it. (laughs) And thank you for letting me stay here with you. Absolutely. Anytime. Love you. Love you.